Welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News, and Views. The place for pets and the people who love them. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Here are your hosts, practicing veterinarians, Dr. Roger Welton and Dr. Karen Lewis. Hello, pet lovers, and welcome back to another episode of Veterinary Advice, Animal News, and Views, coming to you with my lovely co-host, Dr. Karen Lewis from Illinois. Good evening, Karen. Hello. Long time no talk. Yes, you've been quite busy, haven't you? Learning. Yeah, you have too, my friend. So I won't play. Don't blame me on this one. <laughs> no, I know it's, it's it's the schedules have been crossing, but it's great to be with you again, uh, talking to our beloved followers. Um, we actually have a email tonight. We have mail. Um, I love the title. Would you like to get us started on that? Oh, God, I know. Well, the title of the email was neutering my bank account, which I was like, that's just awesome. But so uh, it was kind of a two part email. Before we do uh, the neutering part, Dr. Roger, I'll let you kind of summarize the uh, there's the other part of it. Then we can go back to the neutering my bank account part, which kind of segues into our podcast topic today, too. It does segue very nicely. So this is uh, let's just uh, we don't do last names, but this is Lauren from Florence, South Carolina. She is a repeat offender. She's emailed us in the past. Um, so this is the second part. Uh, she had mentioned another potential topic for you. My sister's one-year-old cat randomly gets sores around his mouth that flare up and disappear within two to three days. She has taken him to the vet, but I don't think they've ever been able to see an actual sore. They didn't ask her what food she was using, but just told her to change the food. She did, but he's still getting the sores. I sent your episode on food trials and also told her to call them back to tell them what food she was using and what she'd switched to, but haven't heard anything else. It had only been about two weeks on the new food when her cat got another sore. Love the podcast. Don't ever stop, please. Thank you for that nice, kind compliment, Lauren. It's nice to know at least one person's listening. So you want to start on this one real quick? Oh, yeah. So uh, sort of just to touch on this, sort of around the mouth, it's kind of vague because you can start inside the mouth and kind of work your way out. So uh, inside of the mouth would be stomatitis, which is an inflammation of the gums, the gingiva, even like the inside of the lip. And those can actually be proliferative and look like lumps and bumps. Um, that can be food uh food allergy related, I guess. So if that is the case, there's a lot of other things you do with it too. It's often autoimmune, but a food trial wouldn't be a bad idea. I, I'm not sure that's what you're talking about though. Dr. Roger was thinking it's probably more of a rodent ulcer. Maybe we're kind of guessing because sort of mouth is kind of vague. Yeah. So if she, if, if Lauren was in a room with us, we'd, we'd ask more questions, you know, um, I, well, we could actually see it. That'd be wonderful. But, um, the, a rodent ulcer is actually called an eosinophilic ulcer, or sometimes they're called eosinophilic granulomas. They're on the lip most commonly. They literally look like a little ulcer on the lip, and it's basically an infiltration of a type of white blood cell called an eosinophil that causes inflammation and erosion of the tissue right there. That also is, it can be allergy-related, could be uh, triggered by environmental allergy or food allergy. So again, back to Dr. Karen's point, a food trial is not a bad idea. The, the, they, they, it, that would be considered autoimmune too, though, right? I mean, when I see eosinophilic either ulcers or granulomas or what have you, 
you know, generally I'm considering that an autoimmune as well in the line of stomatitis. That we do, right, that autoimmune we do. or allergy, that, yeah. that broad category. Or, yeah. Autoimmune with like an allergic trigger, you know, yeah. this food or. And then the other thing that you had mentioned uh, pre, pre-podcast was uh, oh, kitty chin acne. acne. Yeah. yeah, and those are sores that are usually on the chin, hence the name chin acne. And they can be little blackheads, and uh, I usually treat those with a topical benzoyl peroxide. And I learned about a year ago, I don't know if you have this problem too, Dr. Roger, uh, all the human acne products which used to have benzoyl peroxide don't, don't have benzoyl peroxide anymore. No, just salicyclic acid. Yeah. yeah, and I'm like, what? It, what? what? Back big. in my day, we could get benzoyl. So I don't know what's even anymore. And I have a hard time finding the pyobin gel that I prescribe for these cats. So yeah, I don't. It's frustrating. I find the acne wipes still help though, even though they're devoid of benzoyl peroxide. I just I recommend the uh, the Neutrogena acne wipes because I actually treat um, the lick granulomas on dogs' toes. Uh, I actually treat. I used to treat them with the benzoyl peroxide wipes as well as part of my, you know. There's a bunch of things you do for that, but it's one of the many things that I would recommend. And uh, I still find it helpful even without the benzoyl peroxide. But, no, you can't find it anywhere anymore. They must have determined it was some kind of carcinogen or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it cancer in lab rats or something. It yeah. does bleach your clothes. Yeah. Um, it, it takes the blue color out of everything because my husband uses it. Oh, yeah, don't <laughs> buy him any nice clothes anymore because the, they'll be ruined. Anyway, <laughs> but I digress. Uh, I think well, my, my main comment on that is I give the food more more of a chance. You know, first of all, confirm that it is indeed a hypoallergenic food, either novel protein source or a hydrolyzed protein. I love the uh, Royal Canin Hydrolyzed for cats. So that's one you could mention. It's available only by prescription. But, uh, at, you know, per our past episode, you know, Dr. Karen's talking 12 or 12 months, 12 weeks for a Fruz trial. I'm generally in the eight week range before I'm ready to give up on them. So, you know, eight to 12 weeks is, is the general range. So, you know, only two weeks and still getting the source, still not enough time to give it its due diligence. Any last comments on that, Dr. Karen? Oh, no, I think that covers it pretty good. So um, the other part of your email actually is going to segue into today's topic very well. And that is the, the subject of neutering my bank account. But um, basically, <laughs> uh, that is so awesome. Uh, basically it was how can, Prices for cat spays and neuters or dog spays and neuters vary so drastically in parts across the country. And she was comparing Virginia to South Carolina. But um, obviously, and like you touched on this, cost of living can be big. Obviously, anything done in New York City or, you know, San Francisco is going to cost more than Nebraska. You know, so that's just common sense cost of living. But I think when you're quoted $400 at one place and $80 at another place, uh the receptionist probably didn't do a very good job of explaining what all was included in that $400, probably more than just human anesthesia. There was probably including pre-anesthetic blood work, IV fluids, anesthesia monitoring, microchipping and registration. If I don't know if that's worth $400, but I mean, there's a lot of things that can be included in that versus the $80 neuter. I guarantee you did not include microchipping or blood work or probably not even IV fluids, you know. So that's where a lot of the difference is, is what you actually are getting. We touched on this in our low-cost bay neuter episode too, Dr. Roger. Yeah, it was actually why why, why is it better to pay more at Dr. Roger's clinic to have your cat or dog spayed or neutered? Um, and, and I will tell you this, it, I, I bet you it was a breakdown in communication on the part of the front, front desk staff of this place, like you said, Dr. Karen. We actually have a price shopper um, 
protocol that the front desk person goes through. We don't just say, yeah, it costs this much. You know, we, we very thoroughly explain, okay, you know, we understand that there is a lot of variation in price. You're going to call around and get a lot of different prices. We want to be clear about what our price reflects. We, we call our service a complete surgical program, and it includes blah, 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 blah. And so when you break it down like that, um, and, and you do mention that some of this stuff is optional, we recommend it, but it's optional, it communicates it to the owner a lot better and under, it lets them understand better what the value of what they're paying more for is. Geographic location, I think maybe not so great communication on the part of the front desk staff, I'm thinking. So. I'll agree with that. <laughs> okay. So. You second that? <laughs> So, okay, but that does segue into our topic. Um, I did a blog article last month called Dogs and Their Enlarged Prostates, which is what happens when you don't neuter, regardless of price, <laughs> um, <laughs> your dog, not cat. And um, so then Dr. Rogers said, well, we can talk about just general uh, testosterone-driven maladies, which – my tongue-in-cheek response was, well, in humans, those testosterone-driven maladies are car accidents and poor decisions in general. <laughs> but um, uh, you know what? I'm gonna just, I'm gonna be you right now. I'll agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no worries about that. I fully agree. <laughs> but dogs don't make poor decisions. <laughs> well, they do, <laughs> but not as testosterone-based as right. some human decisions are. So. Anywho, um, one of the things, well, my whole article was about prostates, but there's a lot of other things that, uh, problems, or I don't know if I should call them problems. I don't know. Syndromes, Manifestations, I guess. negative, yeah. potentially Thank negative you. things. I mean, big prostate's not fun. Um, no. Certainly, you know, um, I think one of the things that we should be clear about is, I, I don't know if this was dispelled when you, by the time you graduated, we graduated two years apart. Um, I, I was two years earlier than you, um, but it, I, I graduated with the understanding that being intact predisposed to doctor prostate cancer. We've since learned that that's not the case, that there is no link to actually being intact. Yeah, well, then we were told that being neutered predisposed to prostate cancer. But see, all these studies are so poorly done. They're not actually looking for a cause and effect. They're just saying the majority of prostate cancer dogs are neutered. Well, that's because the majority of dogs whose owners bother to take them to the vet to diagnose them are also the ones who bother to neuter them in the first place. Right. So it's not, yeah, it's kind of a silly statement to even try to make. It, just, it but, just seems like there's no consensus either way, uh, but, no. but, but definitely there's bad things that can happen to the prostate when they're intact. Now you yeah. mentioned in your article, it's more typically the older dog. Um, I see a ton of pit bulls here. They're like hyper testosterone. I'll actually see prostatitis and enlarged prostates in dogs as young as two, three years old. Sometimes it's crazy. Oh, that is crazy. Oh yeah. These Floridians love their pits, you know, and they love them to keep them intact and manly. Um, and so, so they're clearly compensating for something, but we won't go down that road. Yeah, no, so. I, I don't disagree. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I'll see it younger, but anyway, go ahead. It, it was cause your article is kind of the inspiration for the idea of the episode, which, Hey, let's, let's take a look at some of these testosterone driven maladies. Yeah. So, um, well, my article is about prostates and as the syndrome called benign prosthetic hypertrophy, which benign is a loose term because benign does not mean harmless, <laughs> you know, they just mean it's not cancer and the prostate is enlarging. Hypertrophy means enlarging. Uh, 
but not due to a cancerous process. And uh, what it is is basically the testosterone causes the prostate to grow. This is a common problem in human males as well because most human males are also not neutered. Um, so obviously, and all those commercials you see on TV where the, you know, the guy has to get up and try to pee every two hours and then he can't pee. And, um, that is basically from the same thing that these dogs get where, um, basically your, your peer or your urethra goes through your prostate. So when that sucker swells a little bit, it kind of squeezes that tube and, uh, makes it hard to pee it's it's got to be agony I, oh, nothing sucks worse than having to pee and you can't so uh in dogs they can also get so big that it affects their ability to defecate and in vet school we were taught to look for the were you taught this the ribbon shaped feces because the prostate squishes the poop and i've never in all my bph dogs i've never in my life had ribbon shaped feces ever yeah, they love to say that though. I got the same terminology. Um, and it doesn't exist. No. As far as I. No, I mean the straining is there for sure, but the right. ribbon shape that never really. No, it's I not a Play-Doh talk. press. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> like, is it a theoretical thing that someone came up with and they just put in a textbook and decided to just go with it? I don't but, know. That's funny. I never really thought about it. <laughs> but I'm like, no, the poop comes out okay. They're just having to work a lot harder to do no. it. Um, but. I actually had a case, this old, old, old dog who couldn't urinate very well because of his prostate and he was actually going into kidney failure. Kind of like he was kind of like an obstructed cat, basically. And this ancient dog, I was like, all we have to do is neuter him. I even put him under anesthesia and did a prosthetic wash, which is where you put a little tube up there, a little pee pee and get some prostate cells out because I was sure it was cancer. The dog was like 17. Um, and it wasn't. It wasn't cancer at all. So we neutered him, and within two weeks, he was peeing normally. Within a month, his kidney levels were normal. It was wow. crazy. It was so as well. it, was, it was a really nice success story. The dog lived a whole other year, believe it or not, as wow. ancient as he was. And the owners were, of course, thrilled. So, uh, Or you can avoid all that and just neuter your dog before that happens, which would save everybody a lot of headache, especially the 17-year-old dog. But Yeah, most definitely. The um, There's the other complication where they're straining to poop so hard that they actually cause a hernia uh, in an area called the perineal region. And it looks like like a on the side of their anus, either to the right or to the left of it, it literally looks like there's a big, like, like uh, I don't know. Bulge. Like, big bulge, like their bladder's prolapsing out of there. Yeah. So well, sometimes could, it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True. And you can actually stick your finger right in it, you know. So they've pushed so hard that literally they have blown open an area of their body wall, I guess, and separated the muscle tissue there. And sometimes there's intestine coming out. Sometimes there's intra-abdominal fat. And as Dr. Karen said, there's sometimes um, even the bladder what? can come through. Oh, there. I've had a couple where. The way I got my urine sample was poking that pocket next okay. to their anus. Yeah. And I said, oh, that shouldn't have pee in it. Right. So. Yeah, because you think you're aspirating a mass. I've done that before. Yeah. I think like, some of them are a little harder than you expect. You think you're aspirating yeah. a mass, and you actually pull back pee, and you're like, oh, okay, got a yeah. diagnosis. So that's a surgical <laughs> That's a surgical uh, problem. And so those dogs, we not only have to neuter, we have to repair their perineal hernia at the same time, which and that is a big deal. Do you, that is not a surgery I would touch with a 10-foot pole. I would refer that sucker. Would you do that or would you refer it? Um, actually, I'd do it because I did one. Um, I, did my, I did my first one when I didn't have time to think about it because I, 
I, I, I turned to my boss at the time and I said, I got a perineal hernia here. Um, I need to, who do I refer this to? And he said, Oh no, we do that. He goes, I'll scrub oh. in with you. I'll scrub in with you. So we did it and it, we, I don't do it with the mesh. I do use permanent nylon suture, but if you use the right anatomic landmarks, you know, it's, it's, it's not that bad. But of course I did it as a, a wee lad, you know, guided by a very good surgeon or a general veterinarian who was a very good surgeon. Yeah. So no, I do, I do repair those, but, um, uh, you know, it, it's, it's butt surgery, man. It's not fun. It's, Oh, butt surgery. Actually, let's go into why butt surgery sucks so bad. <laughs> and it's because of the blood. Yeah, oh, God, do those suckers bleed. Yeah. I'm talking, like, fountain. Like, have your eyes covered. <laughs> yeah. Wear glasses. I mean, like, anal gland surgery, any of those, you're just like, ugh, where's all this coming from? And there's a lot of really dicey, there's a lot of very important nerves yeah. over there that you don't want to be stretching or cutting sure. or manhandling and, and nothing nothing makes an incision pretty like feces passing through an area yeah so, so it's always dirty it's uh you have to give them stool softeners because their prostate is still big and it's going to be big for a couple of weeks before you know yep. while you're waiting for the neuter to take effect so stool softeners incision yeah it's a big freaking mess you know <laughs> so <laughs> you know I, I think this is a good it's a good warning to everybody that you know this these things do happen i've seen quite a few of them um, so, and then the other, the other condition, uh, you know, I guess you don't see as much of them as I do, but the mm-hmm. two, there's two different, uh, presentations of this. So it's called a perianal adenoma. It's a benign, but unsightly tumor that can grow in the perianal region. So peri meaning around anus or anal meaning around the butthole. Um, and they can form these unsightly masses. They're not cancerous, but they form a hygiene issue. A lot of the dogs will start licking them excessively. Sometimes I'll see it as a just a proliferation of tissue around the anus, where it's just it's not necessarily one tumor, but it's just really thickened and swollen and nasty looking. I'll see those, and I have some that are almost like frond-like, yeah. for lack of a better term. Sure. And one lady was like, "Why is his butthole growing fingers?" <laughs> you yeah. know, and yes. it was like. It's yes. waving at you. I don't know. Right. So, yes, that that's another potential issue. And it, you know, I, this was interesting too. I had one, and uh, this was a while ago, but it was a Labrador Retriever intact that had one a mass on its tail. You know, and like mid tail, and it was big and it was bleeding and infected, and so there's no way I, you know, it just looked so cancerous, and they the they didn't want a biopsy. The owners didn't want a biopsy because. If I biopsied and figured out it was cancer and then, you know, amputated the tail, um, it was two anesthesias, right? Uh, There's no way I could resect it without taking the the whole tail. So they said, I'd rather just get this done in one fell swoop and just have one anesthesia. And they're like, so, Doc, you know, could you just just take the tail? And I said, I could do that. So I took the tail. And so it was, you know, dog was fine. He had this little stump of a tail. It's kind of funny seeing a Labrador retriever with, like, a little boxer (laughs) tail. Yeah. Uh, But the, the biopsy came back that it wasn't cancerous at all i mean it looked funky and ugly and certainly Awkward. i was preparing for a cancer diagnosis it came back infected perianal adenoma so all i had to do was neuter that dog and not did, did you neuter him at that surgery i did when you not took the tail off i did not neuter him because oh ouch yeah didn't neuter him because i i didn't i don't know i I would have never foreseen that a perianal adenoma would be like yeah. on the top of the tail, you know, four or five centimeters down the pike. You know, it's just it really strange. Weird. So, but but in, had I biopsied it, 
and you know we could have used yes it would have been two anesthesias but the it was two anesthesias no matter how you slice it right. it sounds like right. so so there was cost constraints clearly you know so yeah. so i had to uh make that decision but yeah the dog lost his tail over it but again it was kind of funny the dog would come in wagging this little stump and you know oh, we got rid of the problem I, and I just told her uh the owner is like you know if if we start to see an unsightly mass, you know, grow somewhere else, either on the tail that looks like that previous one, or around the the butt, you know, we should probably get to neutering him versus biopsying or resecting or amputating anything. Yeah. God, <laughs> poor dog. No. Anyway, it's well, crazy. actually, um, it wouldn't hurt to touch on uh, neutering old dogs versus young dogs. Sure. And how that's different. Yeah. Uh, young dogs. Well anesthesia-wise, everything just bounces back quicker, you know. But old dogs, the problem we see, and the older they are, the worse this is, is you have this sack, and not to be too graphic, but the older you get, things sag, for lack of a better term. And so you're taking out the contents of the sack, which is the testicles, leaving the sack, and the body does not like empty space. So what it does is it says, oh, my gosh, I have this empty space. I cannot handle this. I am going to fill it up with blood. And what can happen is it does it a little bit over exuberantly. And it's called a scrotal hematoma where that the sac, the scrotum, it's like a water balloon. I mean, I have some of these, especially if you don't keep them resting very well after surgery. Oh, my gosh. I have so many dogs who come in and they're like, did you neuter him? Because yeah. they look like they grew back. Yeah. Do you get that a lot too? Uh, yes. And I got a really funny one. A guy from Brooklyn. That was when I was working in Long Island, New York. He was from Brooklyn, but he, he called the next day. He goes, "Dog, what did I, Doc? What did I pay for? My my dog's balls are bigger than they were yesterday." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "Wait, sir. I think he's, he has a complication called a scrotal hematoma. Please bring him down." And we took a look, and yeah, I mean, it looked like. He had elephantiasis. It didn't even look like. <laughs> anyway, that was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, so actually, so so with an older big dog, especially, I actually preemptively offer a scrotal ablation along with the neuter and recommend just take it. The whole yeah. Yeah. Just so you basically that's the resection of the sac, and give it a little tummy tuck, so to speak, to prevent yeah. that. You know, and that's not a bad idea. I don't know why a lot of places don't you know because we just do a routine neuter and say keep them resting and um apparently this really really old very bad needs to retire vet in our area who um practices like it's the 1930s and apparently he's had a couple of those and the owners were told that the neuter didn't take didn't take yes <clears throat> what could that possibly know. mean <laughs> i don't and the owners people are like oh it didn't take and i'm like <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. Just, it didn't take. Wow. Yeah. yeah so I guess sometimes you just miss. Yeah. I don't know. Like, what is Accidentally that? left him in there. Yeah. Oh, my oops. God. But, yeah, but eventually, unless it gets, like, really big, bad, and angry. Like, I just had one last week. And uh, I was like, you know, just keep him calm. We'll do antibiotics. We'll do non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. It will reabsorb. It will calm down, you know. Yeah. Uh, as the ones that are bad are the ones that are like swelling to like twice the size they were. The ones that just look like they were beforehand, those always end up being fine, right. in my experience. Um, and I just thought that the, the neuter did take. Yeah. It just <laughs> takes time to reabsorb. But, sure. 
Yeah, I didn't know how to respond to that. It didn't take, but anyhow. Yeah, that's... Hmm. Glad he doesn't work near me. Um, oh, the, the I think we should briefly, you know, we've talked about this before, but touch on the behavioral side of it, too, because you get these male-related behaviors, and, you know, on the human side, it's the car accidents and the poor decisions, but on the, <laughs> on the, the, the canine side, it's, you know, wanting to escape and go find a girlfriend. Um, there is evidence that I human side actually, but oh, yeah, that too. Yeah, that too. That too. But we, our expertise is canine. Yes. <laughs> You're like um, shut up. But but I I um I read in a a behavioral uh, journal. It was JAVMA, but it was a behavioral article. The Journal of the American Veterinary Medical Association. I read that there is actually evidence and proof that. A male intact dog can smell a female in heat from as far as two miles away if the wind is right. You know, and and if you think about, especially here in Florida, where there's so many unspayed females, they come into season generally around the same time of year. Could you imagine being that unneutered dog smelling that all around you? Of course, I just had destruction to run first. Right? (laughs) It's like a teenage boy on steroids. You know, it's I just couldn't even imagine the poor dog. So, so yes, they're going to be more prone to escape and jump the fence and dig under the fence and, um, you know, and hit by cars and hit yeah, by cars and marking behavior and peeing in the house and lifting their leg and uh, humping your guests, humping the pillows, humping this. I had a dog like this once. Every spring, he would hump anything that moved, including me. The cocker spaniel, and is at a time my father. Uh, it was back in the early 80s. It was our first dog, and he's like, no, we're not neutering him. You don't do that to a dog. You know, he didn't know any better. Yeah. Uh, but the p- poor Waldo, you know, he was a big hormone every spring. And, um, you know, uh, statistically, and you're more the behavioral person than I am, but statistically, uh, my understanding is that you neuter them, it most likely will quell a lot of that behavior, but I think – Something like 38% of the time it won't, or 36% of the time it won't. Well, it's not going to quell. Like, humping often is not sexual. That's just fun (laughs) sometimes. (laughs) Because boys do it, girls do it. Like, puppies who are tiny puppies who don't even know any, you know, do it. And the owners are freaking out. They're like, oh, my God, he's going to be a pervert. I'm like, oh, well, you can call him what you want. But I'm like, he's not a sex fiend. It's just fun. It's kind of a dominance thing, isn't it? Yeah, dominance is actually kind of a myth too now. Um, we all I have a whole article about how dominance is BS, basically. Um, but because people used to think that was a dominance thing, right. but now anyway, um, there's a lot of different. You could probably publish entire papers on theories of dog humping. That'd be a bestseller. Um, you should write that. I, I've actually had oh god, um, I've actually had people like come in like who want. Veterinary equipment's because my dog won't stop humping like this one stuffed bear or this, you know, and yeah. I'm like, what's it hurting? You know, yeah. now, now um, it, it is a difference maker, though, if if <laughs> not to be crude, but if the lipstick is out. Right. Oh, and then actually I have this dog was actually having a medical complication from the excess uh, exuberant activity yeah. because his little wee would come out and then get stuck. So then he'd have to come in for us to lube it up and slide it back in. And he was like, I can't keep doing this. I mean, it was his anatomy was such that it would kind of get stuck out easier than most dogs. But it was kind of like, oh, Buffy's back, you know. (laughs) So I've seen a few of those often. uh, 
usually Jack Russell's in my experience. So yeah, it's, it's like the little dog usually, yeah. but I gotta tell you, okay, in vet med, we deal with a lot of gross, you know, there's abscesses, fleas, blood, pee, vomit, you name it. Perineal hernia. I can be up to my, yeah, I, I can do all of that. My Achilles heel, my one thing I cannot do is a penis that is out. Just thinking about it makes me vomit. Um, there was this giant pit bull at the last place I worked. So it's stuck out. It's turning purple. It's, yes. And it's been out for like a day or two and people finally bring it in. And this vet was, of course, the jokes were flying, you know, yeah. um, and my friend was working on him. And I came on the corner and saw that and almost passed out. And all my friends were like, Dr. Lewis, I've never seen a person turn that green. I'm like, I didn't even know it. I'm like, I didn't know this was my Achilles heel. Like, I can't even just think about it now. I'm like trying not to throw up. It's, I don't know. So wow. it's my, I give me pus and vomit all the day, all the live long day. But that, mm-mm. so when those come in, everybody knows, like, don't let Dr. Lewis see it. Don't let her. <laughs> <laughs> You'll lose her. <laughs> so I don't know. So even just talking about it now, I'm like, ah, subject. <laughs> What's your Achilles heel? What's the one thing that you like cannot do? Maggots. Oh, I love maggots. Oh, see, okay. Well, so so if we're ever working in the same hospital, I'll get the penis cases. And I'll, I'll penis pick cases. All your you take my maggots. We'll be good to go. What if it's a penis with maggots? We'll, we'll both need, just curl we'll, up. And... We'll need a third party. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay, we need some help here. <laughs> that could happen theoretically. It could. Yeah. I mean, that thing could get pretty rotten there when it's getting strangulated <laughs> like that. But, um, yeah, so your experience with behavioral issues and neutering after the fact usually improve? Yeah, but old habits die hard. Escaping aggression, things like that. Yeah, I mean, so, like, they'll be less likely to roam and want to look for love. But, like, leg lifting, marking, some of that's a breed thing, too. Like, all my dachshunds have been neutered, and dachshunds just love to sprinkle crap in your house. Just give up. (laughs) I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what to tell people anymore. Um, that's why belly bands exist. It's right. like the male version of a diaper. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, things will get better. But I always tell people it's not like people who have interdog aggression and all these really complicated behavior problems. I'm like, neutering will take it down half of a notch, but you still got 18 more notches to go before this is better. Yeah, but I think that's every notch frame helps. Like, what's that? I'm sorry. It's every notch helps, you know, right. I mean, everything, but, but you're right. Like neutering a two year old dog is different from neutering an eight year old dog in terms of behavior changes. Right. It's going to be a lot more ingrained. Right. And I think time frame wise, we're looking at 60 to 90 days to really see if there's going to be a difference. Yeah. I think so, a couple months at least. Yeah. yeah. So, but that's another reason. Yeah. I'd say just neuter your dog. I mean, I look at my Labrador retriever. <clears throat> He's almost 12 years old. I neutered him when he was just under six months of age before he hit sexual maturity. He still squats like a girl. He is the most wonderful dog. He's got no developmental issues. He's, let me just knock on wood. He's not blown out his cruciate ligament. You know, I know there's that 0.6 or yeah. 0.6% chance increase that they might have conformational issues that, you know, predispose him. That one study showed, by the way, just one. Um, he doesn't have hip dysplasia. Like, uh, I think it's like a 0.2% increase in hip dysplasia in, in, in neutered males and large large breed neutered males. Right. Um, again, one study determined. So it's just, for me, it's just not worth all the aggravation that, you know, to, to have such a nominal increased predisposition in these other things that, which I, I don't even think is real. I mean, I do think neutering a giant breed dog at a young age is not good. Um, like a lot of these shelters, 
eight weeks, 10 oh, weeks, right, right, like right. a lot of these shelters who are doing like these rural young, cause, um, these dogs, their growth plates don't close the same right. and they're more leggy. And I think those dogs are, we need to do a study to prove it, but I think those dogs are more prone to ACL tears because every dog, a lot of the dogs I see who have torn ACLs, how old were they when they were neutered? Well, I got it from the shelter when he was 10 weeks old and he was already neutered then, or he right. was 12 weeks old, you know? Yeah. Um, and these giant or large breed dogs, that matters because their joints don't form quite the same. Nobody knows quite why yet, but a lot of uh, recommendations now are for giant large breed dogs, neuter at nine months plus, you know. Yeah, I generally would go as long as we're not having, and I leave it to the to the owner, you know, and say, look, you, you can get some behavioral issues that may not be fun in a giant breed dog, and we got to kind of toe that line. If we see that starting to happen, maybe pull that trigger a little bit sooner. But um, I, I generally try to take them actually to 12 months if I can. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and and I'll recommend, even though they're not quite that saggy by then, a giant breed dog, I'm actually going to offer the scrotal ablation to not get the balloon scrotum afterwards. Oh, yeah, because yeah, that is what sucks about do- – the nice thing about doing these little puppies is there's, like, nothing there, you know, right. where you do these big dogs. But have you ever had a patient with nudicles? Uh, I have not. I had a, a client request them, though. Please explain what nudicles are. Oh, yes. I had a live and a dead patient, both with nudicles, um, two different. So they are plastic implants. <laughs> if you want to neuter your dog, but not have the neutered look, I guess. <laughs> so for uh, for all your dog's social, social situations where you might want to look <laughs> unneutered, I guess. So, and, um, the, my first run in with nudicles was actually when I was in vet school in pathology lab, I was doing a, a necropsy on a dog that had died and the highlight of the necropsy was finding the nudicles, <laughs> which we cut out, washed out, and then passed around the, the class because that was fun. But I had a live dog. <laughs> I have to clarify the live dog and the dead dog. But Our job is something I, else, isn't it? I mean, you can't write this stuff. <laughs> so the live dog I had, big dog, like a, not in a great day, like a, a real like short haired dog too, you know, like where there's no fluff or anything around there. Yeah. And uh, he was walking around the exam room. I was working in a clinic and I'm like, what is this clicking sound? Yeah. I'm looking, I'm looking. It was just two plastic nudicles clicking together when he walked. <laughs> I kid you not. I was like, Could you I've not never put- seen that before. Something between them, or make them squishy. So they would actually go click, 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 click. click oh my yes. God. So, so the dog was like bouncing around the room, you know. Oh my God. Um, it was so insanity, and I was like, "Who actually does that?" People do. I mean, it doesn't hurt anything. It's not medically contraindicated. It's just, it's a lot more work for why, you it know. Just made me laugh so hard I choked. <laughs> oh God, that's amazing. Um. No, I don't know who would do that. I don't know. I, I, I had the request once. I was still a young vet. I was in New York still. And I just, I, oh God, it, it's so vague. And all. I, my time in New York almost feels like a dream because I did emergency and critical care as well as general med- medicine. Yeah. And so like it's, 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 I get sporadic bits, kind of like when your memory of being three years old, you just get yes. kind of excerpts of it, <laughs> you know, but, but I, I think I just asked him like, so what, what, what? You know, why? <laughs> I don't understand. Uh, Did you it's, do it? it's very strange. It's very strange. Um, but that's an interesting tangent. We're good at these tangents. I know. But I'm curious, did you actually 
insert the nudicles? No, or no, did you I told not? him, I said, we don't, we don't do that. Um, and, and, you know, there, things that my clinic didn't necessarily, or my practice that I worked in didn't necessarily do, I'd often go up to my boss and be like, hey, can I do this? Would you mind if I did this? I didn't even ask about that one. No, we don't. No, we don't. No, we don't do this. You know, it's just, no. <laughs> uh, so. Because you're inserting something and like, if it's not sterile, you can get abs. I mean, it just, there's, there's so much that can go wrong. Like why add an extra layer of complication that you don't need? Biological rejection, you know? Yeah. Clanking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I, I, I hope somebody doesn't listen to this and think it's a good idea. Hope, I hope they hear the sarcasm, you know. Um, <laughs> well, and honestly, and if your dog has that, that's fine. It's not hurting anything, you yeah. know, but it's just, well, when they clink, I'm sorry. I, I couldn't get past the clinking. I just couldn't. So I'm like, he's not sneaking up on anybody. And I mean, yeah, the jokes were just, it was. Well, there's bad. always that. <laughs> you always seek in cats, you put a bell on their collar. and dogs, you put nudicles. You put nudicles. The same thing. There you, you know, go. know where they are. <laughs> At least fifty percent of them that are male. Exactly. <laughs> wow, that was a tangent. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Anywho, that's a funny tangent, though. I gotta <laughs> tell you that really. Um. So yeah. Well, thank you once again for one of your articles inspiring an episode. Uh. Thank you, Lauren, for contributing to the show. Keep the emails coming. We will do our very best to keep the podcast coming. Any parting thoughts there, Doctor Karen? Oh, I think we pretty much butchered this one enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, great to connect with you again. And uh, we're going to once again commit to doing this more often. Yes. Haha. Thanks, guys. Good night, everybody. (laughs) Taking charge of your future starts with taking the first steps. And saving up to $30 a month on Cox Internet with the Affordable Connectivity Program makes those steps easy to take. Whether they bring you to click upload on your first short film or join now for an online book club. Applying is easy. See if you qualify at cox.com slash ACP. Non-transferable one per household application and eligibility decisions are made by the FCC. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.